Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, everybody. My name is Hafa Lombardino, and this is Translation Confessional. What are sworn translations all about? Today we'll be addressing a very interesting topic, sworn translations, official translations, certified translations. It's something known by many names, and it all depends on who is requesting it, where the original documents are coming from, where the translated documents will be used and what the specific purpose of the translation will be. In order to shed some light on the subject, Hoffa talked to two of her peers to bring us more information on sworn translations in two specific countries, Brazil and Guatemala. Condici Soldatelli is a sworn translator from Brazil, and she'll explain what the process is like when translators take a very specific exam organized by the company registry office in their respective state. Eldora Escobedo is a sworn translator from Guatemala, and she'll talk about the steps that translators need to follow when taking the exam organized by the Guatemalan Department of Education. As for Hoffa, she will share her own experiences as an ATA-certified translator, since there isn't a specific process to swear in translators in the United States. She'll also mention how there is some confusion about the subject, because the only U.S. government process that is currently in place actually relates to the court system, and applies mostly to interpreters appearing in court to assist both parties of a case, who must communicate between a foreign language and English before a judge. After the break, we will hear from Hoffa, Condisi, and Eldora about this specific segment in translation services and learn more about some changes that may take place in the near future, as each country reviews how translators may gain some sort of official status at the state and federal levels. I was so organized before the pandemic. I had the best of both worlds, work and family life. After lockdown began, I lost my way. Because I worked for myself, I went into business survivor mode. After all, where else would I go besides my home office? The gym was closed, There were no more afternoon skates for lunch and a movie. There was this uncertainty in the air. Will clients disappear? When will the next project come in? We didn't know how long the pandemic would last, and the new normal seemed to have come to stay. Then I took two weeks off for spring break to enjoy a much-needed vacation, and that's when I realized I can't go back to that crazy work routine anymore. I need to find the balance that I had before. But how could I break all of the bad habits that seemed to become the norm in the early 2020? Well, it turns out that I just needed a little push. And believe me, I thought it wasn't going to work. But after doing this for a few weeks now and creating a new routine, I feel much more in control. I feel centered. 
So if you are having problems as a freelancer, trying to go back to being productive and organized and having a life, there's a place you can go without leaving your home office, where you can find structure in an intuitive and pleasant way. We can all meet there and focus together, but apart. Distant, but connected. It's a place where you can sit down, get to work, take breaks, and when you're done with your projects and tasks, you get to just walk away. Check out the link in the description to find out what worked for me and may work for you too if you're trying to find your focus. Come get centered with me and kick that pandemic funk off your freelancing life. So I'm here today with two people that I consider my friends, my internet friends. I've met one of them personally, the other one maybe soon. I'm here with Kanjisi and Ilduara, and they are both sworn translators from different countries. And a lot of people, especially my students, ask me about the status of being a sworn translator, an official translator. So I just wanted to contrast different processes in different countries. And even compared to what I do, I'm not sworn at all, but I'm a certified translator. So let's just um, have them introduce themselves, and then we can go into the comparisons. Kanjisi, if you want to start. Okay, my name is Kanjisi Soldatelli. I live in Brazil, and I'm a sworn translator here in Brazil. Actually, southern Brazil, because here in Brazil, you know, we have different uh, uh, states, and each state has their least of uh, sworn translators. So here I respond for the Rio Grande do Sul state. It's between uh, Argentina and, and Uruguay. So, and my pair of languages is Portuguese and English and English Portuguese. Perfect. Ilduara? Hi, uh, my name is Ilduara Escobedo. I am from Guatemala City, Guatemala. I am a legal sworn translator for English and Spanish. And unlike in Brazil, which is such a big country, uh, Guatemala is a small country. So if you become a legal sworn translator here, you can uh, work at it in any uh, state uh, of the country. So if you become like in Guatemala City, it doesn't mean that I can only work as a translator or that my translations have validity only in the capital, but in all the country because we're very small. And I've been a freelance translator for almost five years. Nice. Um, actually, I know a little bit about the system in Brazil because I am from Brazil and I needed a sworn translator and interpreter when I got married because my husband doesn't speak Portuguese. They were afraid that I was going to, you know, defraud some of the paperwork and convince him to marry me. It's been 20 years. So I had to just try to find someone who was a sworn translator that would be officiating the wedding there with the justice of peace and just interpret everything to him. Even she asked me some questions because, oh, I don't know how to do this, how to say that. And we just, you know, came into an agreement. She had the status, but she didn't work on a regular basis as a translator and interpreter. I don't think she does anymore, last time I heard from uh, friends of us that introduced us. So she just was there to, you know, comply with the law. We had to have someone sworn. I couldn't do it myself because it was an interested party. And one of uh, our wedding guests, great teacher, mentor. I started in translations because of him. He is American, spoke great Portuguese. He couldn't do it because he wasn't sworn. So um, I know a little bit about the system in Brazil, but I wanted Kanjisi to just tell us mm -hmm. how it goes, you know, the, the exams and all the process for you to become an official sworn translator. Uh, actually, we are facing some 
changes here in Brazil concerning uh, sworn translators, but I will explain how things are going so far. And then the future, I, I don't know, it's more a speculation because nobody really knows what's going to happen in the near future. So I started as a sworn translator in 2011. I had to take an exam, and it was the most difficult exam of my life. Here in Rio Grande do Sul, it was the first exam in 20 years to happen. So there were a lot of candidates. The exam was so long. I, I remember the first part that it was the written part. I had to do a translation from English to Portuguese. And it was something like five pages, and we had to do it by hand, you know, no computer. We could only have a dictionary to help us. And it was a condition that uh, even in 2011 was unrealistic. You know, imagine we couldn't use a computer to type. We had to translate by hand, you know, five pages. And then I remember, and this was a very traumatizing experience for me, there was this article in Portuguese about the history of art. It was something about Impressionism. And I remember the time was so long and the hours didn't pass. To make things short, I passed the first exam that was the written one. And then we moved to the interpretation exam the following uh, week. So. I had to listen to a decision by a judge and interpret to Portuguese and then the reverse. The decision was in Portuguese and I had to interpret to English. And that's it. I swore uh, an oath. Is that right, Hafa? <laughs> yes. yes, that's it. And, and, and this is pretty serious because here in Brazil, we have the same statues of a notary uh, public, you know. So my signature is the equivalent of a notary public. So we assume a responsibility over all documents that we translate. So this is a very serious situation. So when we pass, we are approved in this exam. We can be both translator and interpreter. And as Eduarda was saying, yes, I, I took my test here in uh, Rio Grande do Sul State in the South. But I can work in all national territory. But the price of the fees, the emoluments, they are different from one state to the other. So actually, it's kind of confusing and people are complaining about it because it's really expensive here in Brazil to translate something in this way. But that's how things are right now. I don't know about the future. Okay, it's it's scary because um, yeah, I never thought about taking the exam because the exam hadn't happened in Santos in São Paulo for the longest time. So they almost wait for people to die off. It's really bad. They wait for people to actually die, and once they're like, "Oh, our list is getting very short. Let's have the exam offered again, so we can get some young blood in." It's pretty actually, bad. <laughs> it's pretty much like this. And I remember the last time we had the exam here in Rio Grande do Sul in the South, 400 people were approved in many languages, not just English, many languages. But um, as it goes, uh, some people just uh, give up, you know, because it's a difficult job. As Rafa was saying, for example, 
they call you and you have to go to court and you have to perform very well. People are very demanding here, you know, I don't know, probably the rest of Brazil is quite so, but uh, it's a very difficult job. Right now, the agencies are starting to offer this kind of service, but it's so confusing because that is this price list of fees that uh, is uh, mandatory, you know, according to the law, we have to charge accordingly, but the agencies, they can uh, give the clients a cheaper price. I don't know how, <laughs> but anyway, actually things are changing and we really don't know what's going on, but I'm very concerning about accuracy, about uh, the legal system, because as Hafa was saying, Right now, a uh, sworn translator here in Brazil is like a military public. But if they decide, okay, whatever person, whoever can translate, how many frauds can happen, corruption can happen? Because if I make a mistake, I can go to the justice and I can go to the jail, <laughs> you know? But uh, what's going on in the future? Nobody knows. I've been just following the news and trying to stay informed because it's something that, you know, I'm curious about. It has no practicality for my students here in the United States unless they move to Brazil and try to become sword translators. But yeah, it's something that we have to stay on top to learn more about it. Let's see if uh, Ilduara has a happier note for us because <laughs> things seem very grim in Brazil right now. I thought things here were bad. <laughs> there might not be that bad. Okay. okay. Um, first of all, I have to say that um, here translation and even interpretation are not really considered careers. The exam can only be given by the Ministry of Education. So what you do is that you study, you prepare yourself, whether it is in a private uh, language school, which is what I did. And right now, I think two universities have finally added as a, as a career but only two of all the universities in the country, and it was very recent. So, but anyway, uh, and through uh, your school, they help you to send a request to the Ministry of Education. When you finish a study, it takes two to three years, depending where you study, to have the exam. And of course, there's a fee for the exam as well, about $25. Then you wait, and it can go from eight months to two years. For instance, for the pandemic, there were people that had been waiting for two, three years for an exam because uh, on 2020, there was no exam. And I think finally last year, they had a virtual one. So there was a lot of people. Anyway, in my experience, I think it was about eight months that I had to wait. Obviously, during that time, uh, they tell you to continue to practice because you never know when you're going to get the date for your exam. So they give you the date. They always happen in the public school, obviously during hours where they're not going to be students. And they give you the classroom empty. You have to take everything with you, your laptop, your desk, your printer, everything. They allow you to take it, but you have to take everything with you. They don't give you even a pencil, just the classroom and the three people who are going to give you the exam and then who are going to grade the exam. So as a translator, in our case, I think we were about 10 people that time, but they divide people in different dates. So I don't know how many people really had an exam during that cycle. The first exam is a Spanish grammar exam. 
and there's a person that's in charge of that exam. Then we have the English grammar exam, a person in charge of that, and the, the translation exam itself. You start with the grammar, obviously uh, the Spanish grammar. I thought it was probably the easiest of the three. <laughs> the English one, I remember it was very difficult. We had someone who was really, she had a really difficult exam for us. And then the translation, they give you an English to Spanish translation and a Spanish to English, both legal documents. So yeah, you start your exam, when you're done, you go outside, you have to wait because they grade you right there and then. You have to wait for them to check your exams and check if you pass or not. So you have to wait until they call you back into the classroom one by one and they tell you whether you pass or not. So obviously, after many hours, I finally went in, they said I had passed. So that's like, it's a great burden out of your shoulders when they finally tell you that you passed. Obviously, for interpreters, they don't have the written translation, they have oral interpretation. After that, you have to be sworn by a judge. You have to take an oath. Again, you wait for a date to meet with the judge. That was a little bit faster, probably about three months after I took the exam. So you go to court. The only time I ever gone to court, <laughs> thank God, judge's chamber, of course, you take an oath, you say, I swear. Then you sign together, you know, a document that says that you have, that you have been sworn. And then finally, the ministry sends you a, a resolution. And that's another funny thing because it's not a degree, it's a resolution that it says that you have met all the requirements to become a legal uh, sworn translator for English and Spanish. And you get uh, an agreement number and you get a resolution number and you get a register number. And so in your seal, all those numbers, they have to appear in the seal because then with your seal, you have to go to the Ministry of Education and register your seal and your signature. Why? I mean, if there's any doubt that you are actually a legal sword translator, especially if the document is going to leave the country, your client can go to the Ministry of Education and an officer will check that you are registered. And once they do, they will give them, you know, uh, a document saying that you are indeed a legal sworn translator and they can continue with the process if you're going to take it out of the country or something like that. So that's important that there is a register of legal sworn translators. And um, all I can say is, you know, the translation law is really old here. It's from 1879. (laughs) There have been small changes through the years. I think the last one was in 2017, but there haven't been really like deep changes. And it started back then. Why? Because they started getting documents from overseas in other languages and they didn't know what to do with them. (laughs) So they created (laughs) a translation where they said that they would name these legal sworn translators in order to work with those documents and all that. But it hasn't really changed a lot. And uh, one of the things that, you know, we have a a local association for translations and interpreters is to fight to make it a career. Because right now, if you want to become a translator here, you can only become a legal sworn translator. There are no other specialities. You become a... (laughs) You specialize in something because of your experience or because you took a, a, a course outside the career, but you can only become a legal sworn translator here. There are no other ways unless you go for a master's degrees outside Guatemala. That's the only way also to get it. So to make sure that all universities and that not only the Ministry of Education can give the exam, that any university 
on a university can with just like with any career you go to the university you take the exam there you don't have to wait for the ministry of education but unfortunately that's not exactly top priority here so i don't see that changing anytime soon but the process is very straightforward if you comply with all the requirements obviously you're going to become a legal sworn translator or interpreter or both and obviously you have to take an exam for every language like i took english and spanish but if i wanted to take italian i have to right. study and take another exam i i'm still kind of <laughs> having nightmares right now because you have to take <laughs> all your stuff to the classroom because yeah. the classroom is empty I mean, the only experience I have is taking the ATA exam and I had to take my dictionaries, my grammar books, whatever I wanted. I have a little box on wheels that, you know, just take everything like my files and uh, it was all by hand because I took my exams in 2007, 2013. Since then, when I was applying the the exam to students here in San Diego, I was able to have people that were bringing in their computers. So it was great to see that they could just do something more similar to what we do every day because I never translated by hand. You know, even no. back in the day in 97, <laughs> oh, I still had a computer. Like I had a, a typewriter. But that's crazy. So it's great to see that and then nowadays people can do the ATA exam also online. So that's perfect. Keeping with the changes uh, of times. But yeah, that's that's really I cannot understand how it would take, you know, everything desk and printer <laughs> into an area. So good okay. to you because that's amazing. And um I just have to say that the United States is kind of uh, boring when it comes to that because we don't have to do all that unless you're talking about uh, working for the court. So I'm not even going to go into that. I'm not an interpreter. That's not my reality and I would not do it justice. All I know is that you can go to each state the state where you are and you can go through a process and you can be a translator or interpreter for the courts in that state and i think there are federal exams as well but i'll have to interview someone else to talk about that because <laughs> i have no idea but it's boring here because we have the ATA which is the American Translators Association that's a national organization so they have the exam you pass the exam you get your electronic seal a stamp that you can add to a document that you translate or you can add to a letter where you sign your name and you say I you know swear that this is all true the translation is faithful it uh, matches the original and then you just put your stamp you sign it you can take it to a notary so the notary can verify your signature and you can even you know raise your hand and you swear that you know it's all true I'm not lying in my translation it's faithful to the original and that's it It doesn't mean that it's easier because the ATA exam is still pretty tough, but it's uh, an easier process that doesn't involve the government, doesn't involve more the bureaucracy. It is a professional organization and, you know, you study, you take the test, you pass and you can work as a certified translator. So, we are not sworn translators. Uh, I have requests when clients are uninformed, they say, "Can you do a sworn translation for me?" And it just means that I go in front of the notary and I swear that I am myself, here's my driver's license, and I swear that my translation is true. But it's not a sworn translation like you are saying, uh, mm -hmm. with all this process before the government, liability. Of course, there will be implications to my reputation, but I don't think I will go to jail if someone got my certified translation and said, oh, this mm -hmm. thing is wrong here. But, I mean, that's a, a very different uh, reality that each country has a different process right? 
And talking about that, what kinds of documents do you get? What kinds of requests do you get? If Kajisi wants to start. Okay. Nowadays, uh, the most uh, documents I receive are uh, academic transcripts and marriage certificates, birth certificates, because the people are uh, moving from Brazil to Europe, to Australia, to the United States, United Kingdom, South Africa, everywhere. I don't know if they use this uh, phrase in English, uh, but uh, we call it the brain run. Everybody is running away, mostly scientists, doctors, lots of medical doctors moving to Europe. And the interesting fact is that uh, even Scandinavia, Switzerland, even Germany, they they don't request uh, translation in German. They accept the English version because I think they are very aware that it's difficult to find sworn translators in languages such as German, maybe French or something like that. And so I don't know. I I have had some clients that they were moving to Luxembourg, you know, and they accepted all the documents in English. And this is the most uh, uh, documents I receive. Uh, And also, this week I've received a birth certificate from Malta. That was this baby that was born in Malta, and now his mom is from Brazil, and she wanted to organize the documents here in Brazil as well, so it was very cute. It was my first (laughs) birth certificate from Malta. But usually it's this, people that are moving, people that are immigrating, and they need all these documents to live abroad to try an application for a visa to live elsewhere. But uh, I've been facing some problems with Australia, because Australia right now, they would rather have a translator that has a NAPI exam. I think it's almost like the ATA in the United States, uh, half, and they do prefer to have a translator from Australia that has this certification. And I think they're not wrong because if it's like ATA, it's a pretty serious professional organization, leaves out all the bureaucracy, you know, I think it's a good thing. But here in Brazil, it's impossible to do something like that right now. We have a good association here in Brazil, Abrates. It's very respectable. They have a very good uh, members in this association. The board is always made of great translators, people that are very respected in our field. But uh, the government is a mess. They can't uh, have uh, the minimum dialogue with the professionals, with the notary offices, the notary public. So everything is kind of confusing right now. The bureaucracy, exactly. Yeah. Abrachas is amazing. They're very similar to what the ATA does here in the United States and internationally. And uh, they have also uh, an exam. You can be Abrachas certified. It's great, but it's still a step you know, below the sworn translators, not in a matter, in a matter of a quality of the work, but it's because how the government sees your status as a translator. So, yeah, I understand that. Ilduara, what about the projects that you get? Do you get anything more exciting or also immigration? 
A lot of immigration documents, academic transcripts, a lot of um, students wanted to study abroad, they applied to, you know, different universities. Again, uh, birth certificates, marriage certificates, a lot of that going on, a lot of people who leave or who have a, you know, a job opportunity somewhere else. So it's pretty much a lot of that. I get some uh, contracts, some deeds sometimes, but it's not a lot because usually they keep them here unless it is, you know, like a international uh, corporation or something and they need to take it out of the country. Obviously, they need a, a legal sworn translation. But yeah, mostly, it's in, uh, you know, immigration uh, documents. So that's the main thing. Uh, right now, a lot of academic records because, uh, you know, students start getting their stuff ready because they want to apply universities and yeah a lot of certificates too obviously the main uh, clients here are lawyers you know law firms and you know direct clients like students and people who just need their documents to be translated but sometimes they also do it through their lawyer because they don't they're not sure you know where to go so having contacts in universities and lawyer offices uh, it actually helps because then they know where to go um, I know that in Brazil, you can go to several places, kind of the similar thing as the notary public, and they have the list and they tell you, okay, you go yes. to this person, that person. But I would say that, you know, some networking is involved, but because you are part of a list, a part of a registry, it's a little easier to have clients find you. And here it's not. You have to just, you know, say, hey, I'm uh, you know, certified and look at me, I'm here. So you have, I think, a lot more marketing involved in this system here in the United States than you have when there is an official government-approved seal of approval. But I would just have to agree with you, too, that I also translate a lot of academic records, a lot of birth certificates, marriage certificates, divorce, the notes when, you know, someone gets divorced. Sometimes you get a, the first page is the marriage certificate. It's like, oh, that's so nice and everything. And then it goes to the second page, oh, they got divorced. So yeah, it's like just uh, learning people's stories through documents like that of marriages from different places, you know, and um, seeing the immigration history. I think that's one thing that uh, it's boring because it's kind of the same uh, type of document, but it's exciting to just see how different birth certificates are. I look at mine from 1980 and it's so different from the ones that I get today, uh, especially here in San Diego. A lot of immig immigrants from Haiti that were born in Brazil. And now they're coming here. So we get a lot of those requests from Haiti and it's um, Brazilian birth certificates because they were born there after being refugees, going to Brazil, yeah. and now they're moving here. And I think one of the, you know, you mentioned the one from Malta with a, a baby. One that I, I always remember is my first LGBT marriage certificate. So oh. it was great to see as soon as it passed in Brazil and it was uh, two men that got married and uh, it was nice to see that they don't say, you know, husband, dot, 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 and wife. Dot. They had to change the template to accommodate for, you know, something that was a change that we needed to see in society. So that was really nice. awesome. Any more ideas? Uh, anything else that you would like to uh, add to this debate? One, one thing that is very interesting is I think most of my clients, uh, uh, they come to me like this. For example, I uh, did some translation to Rafa and then Rafa told somebody else, oh, Kanjis is fast, Kanjis is nice. She explains things because I don't know uh, about Guatemala. But uh, usually there are no lawyers involved. The client comes to me and they have no information. What can I do? 
I have this list of documents that the government in the United Kingdom asked me. What should I do? You know, they have many doubts. So I help them. Sometimes this is important because it's not just a translation. It's not just interpretation. Is a human being in a difficult situation? Yes, they are moving. To maybe to have a better life in another country, but it's a very difficult experience leaving everything behind and try a new life. So they are kind of vulnerable. So if they meet a professional that, okay, everything is going to be okay, it's not so difficult, we can do this, we can do that, it helps a lot, you know. One thing that is also interesting, once you become a sworn translator here in Brazil, uh, you will receive a kind of medal, a kind of a diploma that says, oh, she's good. <laughs> if she passes that test, oh, that one, she's good. So I have many clients for uh, companies and corporations, contracts, other things. These things, sometimes they don't need to be sworn translations, but they hire me because they trust me. They know, oh, Candice is not going to do anything wrong. She's going to be very faithful to the document. Uh, our promotion sometimes is just a marketing article or something like that, but they choose me. Because I have this status, oh, she's going to be very faithful, very accurate. And that's it. Many clients come not just for sworn translations, but as I acquire this status, they see my name in that list. They see, oh, she must be good. So I'm going to go for her, you know. <laughs> I agree that, you know, sometimes clients don't come to you just for, a, you know, a little sort of translation. Yeah, there are a lot of people that... They say, oh, you know, I'm applying for this, but I'm, I'm not really sure what I should do. And that's why it's so great when you get, you are a legal sort of translator, not only you appear on a registry, but you get to know a lot of lawyers and everything. And if you're not sure about what the next step is, you can talk to one of your contacts and say, look, I have a client. He or she is having this problem. What can we do? And yeah, it's about listening and helping. And also, again, with corporations, it doesn't have to be a legal translation. But sometimes they do get documents, you know, they can be contracts that are in another language, but they just need to understand what it says. But they obviously they go to a legal sworn translator. They come to me because legal jargon, legal terms are, you know, not like any other terms. So a lot of time, you know, even if you Google translate or you try to do something like that, there are a lot of things that are not going to make sense. So they prefer to go to, you know, in my case, they come to me because they know that I know the terms, that I understand them, that I can give them a document that they can understand what's going on, what the contract means, what this means for them, what they have to do and all that. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I had to, you know, sign in and seal it. They just want to understand what they're signing or they're going to sign. I have clients that say, can you look at this draft for this contract? Because before we sign it, we just want to understand what we are going to sign. And that's so important. I think a lot of times people don't think about it and they just sign it. But there's so many things that we can actually help with. And um, it's great. It's, uh, like you said, getting to know people's lives and what they're doing and trying to help them. It's more than translation. It's, it's a lot more. And it's, it's amazing. And yes, I know that legal terms and that can be a little bit boring because obviously legal translation have pretty much no room for creativity. But there are other ways in which it makes up for that. Exactly. Maybe not as creative as, you know, subtitling and literary yeah. translation, 
But like I said, there's history, there's human beings yeah. on the other side that you know real and that you need to help. Yeah, I also have the experience of people that don't know the process. And for example, they were doing the other way around. They were going from the United States to Brazil. And I could provide that translation, but I know that for the purposes they're using it, you would not be correct. They have to go to a sworn translator in Brazil. So I have some contacts of friends that I know, especially in Rio and Sao Paulo, that these are the most requests that I get. Mm-hmm. So just say, okay, go to this person. This person is a sworn translator in Brazil. And for the purpose of your translation, that's what you need. I would love to help, but I would just be taking your money. And then you have to just redo everything when you go to Brazil, because my translation may be not valid for what they want, right? There is the apostille uh, system that mm-hmm. we all know about, especially with Europe and here in the United States too, that it's um, another layer of assurance in a way, because it is uh, government involved, involved in the system. But it's sometimes a very specific purpose that you can only be, you know, in this category, this status, this is what we need. And um, I even have clients that say, oh, we need this to be translated by a court sworn interpreter. Okay, so if you need an interpreter, you go to an interpreter. But if you need a translation, you need to go to a translator. They have a lot of um, uh, misunderstanding about this. Clients, also agencies requesting these projects. But all we can do is just keep up with that information, provide a good service, and turn it down if it's not correct. And I won't even go into the translation agencies offering, you know, sworn translations by half yeah, the price. Be, be, better it's, not say a word. Yeah, yeah, it's against the law. Let's just put it, it this way. Actually, I'm so angry with that. But what can I do? And one problem, Hafa, I think probably these big agencies uh, were some of the interested parties that uh, put some pressure on this. Now they are saying that not for uh, academic transcripts and neither for birth certificates, this kind of civil registration documents, but for contracts. And this is what scares me the most. For contracts, anyone that has a C2 level test like uh, TOEFL, IELTS, Cambridge, you know, Michigan, they can be a translator. What is this? Again, there's a person that speaks English. It doesn't mean this person can translate a document. You know, it's completely different. You have to have some skills to be a translator. So how come anyone who has a C2 level can translate a contract, can be an interpreter in court for some companies I really, I, I don't like that. Probably many wrong doings will happen in the future because it's not uh, so easy to put these people responsible for what's going on, you know? And Brazil is a huge country. How can you control that? How can you supervise the service? At least we sworn translators, we know we, we took an oath. We have a responsibility. We are legally responsible for the document. The notary public, the notary's offices, they know us. They have our signature and stamp, digital seal, everything. And what about these people? Who are they? What are their skills? I I really don't know. 
I don't even want to think about it. It's it's bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very bad. That, you know, someone makes a good decision at the highest level so they can organize that. And um, honestly, I, I don't know where to go if uh, I go with uh, everybody has to go through the system in order to translate this kind of document. Or let's just have something like, you know, Abraches that knows what they're doing or Sintra, the, the union that knows what they're doing. They know about this segment. They're not just, you know, bureaucrats with government paperwork. I would be so happy if Abraches or Sintra could be the ones who say, okay, Kanjisi is a translator, Hafa is a translator, Yudwara can work as an interpreter, you know, because I know the people, they have standards. But what kind of standards will they have if it's just a guy, an intern in Australia, and now, okay, I'm a CTO level, we'll translate. It's not like that, you know? Anyway, let's see what happens. Let's just wait and see. So hopefully um, things are easier and better for everybody, especially the clients, right? Mm-hmm. That's We're doing this for the clients so they can travel, go to school in another country and, and everything. So uh, I hope everything's okay and that uh, Guatemala can just um, have better system for the exam so you don't have to bring your printer. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Oh, that they continue with the virtual ones. We were talking about that, that because last year they had to do one because of the pandemic. They're actually the AHIT, which is the, the local uh, association, uh, we're trying to convince the ministry to leave them virtual because that means that you are at home. You don't have to take your stuff somewhere else. And that alone, if that change could come, it would be amazing. All right, ladies. I think that this was just really good to just give an idea mm-hmm. of at least two countries and then the kind of, you know, regular system here in the United States that doesn't take much bureaucracy, but still you have to, you know, get out of your way to actually get certified. But I'll try to just find more people to learn about other countries because it's fascinating to just compare mm-hmm. uh, our experiences and uh, the demand. Like, I didn't know that there were so many people going to Australia and uh, Luxembourg. That was a surprise for me from Brazil to <laughs> Luxembourg. And uh, also knowing that there's a lot of, you know, companies that are doing business in Guatemala or vice versa, Guatemala trying to go mm-hmm. to other countries. Yeah. So it's interesting to see how the dynamic works. And um, I really wanted to thank you. And thank you for your support. Like I said, I consider mm-hmm. you to my friends. And I think Ilduara mm-hmm. is the one that listened to most of the episodes of yeah. Translation Confession from the very beginning. So your support mm-hmm. is very encouraging. And yeah. I really, really thank appreciate you. you sharing your stories. And I hope that uh, we can uh, talk about other subjects in the near future, too. Yeah, I hope so, too. I'm a big fan, Ralph. You know that. I love Translation Confession. I love everything you know that you do. You're so amazing. So I'm just really happy and honored to be here. Now yeah. Hasha, you are great. No, seriously, you are one of the best voices of our field. You know, thank okay. you so much for everything, Hafa. Your job is amazing. Thank you so much. I still have to go for that beer with Kanjisi, and then I have oh, to yeah. meet you. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we missed the beer the one time when we went to uh, Braches in Sao Paulo, and then I have never been to Guatemala, but I know that it's beautiful. Yeah. I have friends from there, and uh, oh. one day I hope I can visit and uh, give you a hug. <laughs> okay, I, I look forward to that. Thanks, ladies. Thanks, Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Kanjisi. 
Send us an email at rlombardino at wordawareness.com or leave a voice message on the Translation Confessional Anchor page. If we get enough feedback and voice messages, we can go back to this subject and post a special podcast episode with everyone's opinion on this very same theme. By the way, our Anchor page is anchor.fm slash translation dash confessional. We look forward to hearing from you.